Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 179 recorded September 20th, 2014. So today we're sadly saying goodbye to Voyager Monthly. We barely got to know ye. That's true. Only 15 monthly issues. Hmm. And then they're off to do miniseries. Right. And we'll be able to do the first issue of the first miniseries. Right. And when we say first miniseries, unfortunately it was also the last miniseries. Dope! (laughs) (laughs) I read the letters section at the end of issue 15. And they were talking about, hey, we're ending monthly, but we're going to the miniseries things. And this will be better because we can take more time with it and focus and make it higher quality. So I was like, oh, okay, great, great, great. And there was only one. <laughs> At oh. least there was one. Yeah, well. Yeah, I wonder what, I wonder what happened. Wonder. I don't know. Either they didn't sell many issues or, well, didn't you say something about them maybe just losing the license? Well, uh, they did lose the license, but you brought up a good point. You know, why did they lose the license? Was it by choice or what? Right. I mean, Maybe Paramount was raising the price. But I can't... <sighs> was this when oversaturation had definitely started or what? Or, or yeah. the effects no. of oversaturation was probably uh, taking its toll? Right. Yeah, this is towards the end of the Space Nine's run. The movies were still going somewhat strong, but they... Maybe a little weaker with uh, Insurrection and stuff coming out. Yeah. And uh, Voyager being, you know, what, three years in, so halfway. Right. Yep, this was the end. This was the, the beginning of the end. Yeah. Darn it. Uh, but, you know, things go in waves, so. You Hopefully. Think we're, we're riding the new wave now? Uh, I definitely think we're heading the, riding the new wave. Something that I had mentioned to you uh, a little while ago, and maybe you've read more about it, but the idea of Showtime, which is one of the companies, uh, same parent company as CBS. Right. But that has, of course, the Star Trek original uh, license, that kind of thing. Anyway, they're potentially going to bring back Star Trek to TV. So it's their own property, so why not actually use it on your own network? And make it more like a 13-episode kind of thing per year, kind of like uh, Walking Dead or uh, Game of Thrones, that kind of thing. Right. And, you know, with Dexter, because Dexter was also a big Showtime TV show. I love that show. I did, too. But after about the first two or three years of it being on Showtime, they did try to bring a censored version of it to CBS. And it, it they they like reshowed the first you know I don't I think it only lasted a few weeks of the edited episodes right um, but it didn't work right because you can't edit it and people weren't there to watch it so they they didn't last very long but with something like Star Trek which would be probably more family friendly and um, I could see them you know showing it on Showtime and then a few years later start showing it on 
network TV for all the people who don't have oh, a yeah. way to watch, yeah. um, you know, premium cable. Sure. And I think that would be that would probably be a good business model for them. That's not bad. And of course, in the long run, it's going to get syndicated. So exactly. So that way, they get it. They get to dip it three times. Exactly. Hmm. Very interesting. Well, if they can keep the movies continuing to be popular, uh, then I think all that is wonderful money for the taking. I right. mean, look at all, look at everything that Disney's doing with Star Wars. You know, at least three three movies on the horizons. Directors are in place. Scripts are being written. I mean, they're really milking it. So, yeah, I'm uh, a little worried about that oversaturation of Star Wars. Well. Uh, I think that Disney's definitely going to test <laughs> test how much we want it, <laughs> which is fine with me. But we'll see. We'll see if they overdo it. Right. No, it'll be great. I, I, I'm looking forward to the Star Wars. I'm looking forward to Star Trek with uh, Roberto Orki as the director. Right. A little hesitant we, on it, but yeah, I think we talked about that before. But yeah, I, I, I really good writer. Loves the loves the property, loves the series. Um, so we'll see what he does as a director. Right. I would think that there would be enough people watching it to you know, oh, yeah. ensure that he doesn't make a mistake. Or a huge and the, mistake. And it's being produced by Bad Robot Productions again, right? So right. you know J.J. will be there. Um, we'll have input and be watching things too. As much as he can, Mr. Right. Popular. So it'll be very interesting. I'm I'm looking forward to that. Uh, and you know they're supposedly going to start filming here in the next six months. So you know we don't even have that much longer before we'll start getting teasers of what's going on. Right. Good. So, and leaks and stuff like that. Yay! Right. And conjecture. I, I did hear that they're not going to be as secretive this time as they were with Khan. Ah. Where the whole mystery of who Khan is. May have ru- ruined some of the movie. What? That was kind of a big thing, the whole con question. But I just hope they don't do something similar here, where there becomes, uh, who's going to play Harry Mudd? <laughs> You'd love that, wouldn't you? Your favorite oh, that'd character. Be so great. Yeah. Anyway, well, we'll see if there's some kind of mis- big mystery that comes up that requires all the secrecy. Anyway. Speaking of Harry Mudd, I was watching uh, some Adam West Batman the other day. <laughs> yeah. And it was the big Green Hornet Batman crossover two-parter. Mm-hmm. And okay. who was the bad guy? None other than Harry Mudd. Oh, the actor, yeah. Playing Colonel Gum. Colonel Gum. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's funny. It was funny. I was watching it. I was like, man, it's hard to take this guy seriously with that giant mustache and... I don't know. And, and looking like Harry Mudd. Come yeah, on. Like, man, that's Harry Mudd. I've got to take him as serious as a real villain. This is Batman by gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I take, yeah, this is Batman by gosh. I'm going to take this very seriously. Oh, you caught that, huh? Yeah. Anyways, it was funny to see him in it. So let me mention one more thing before mm-hmm. we get to the comics. Speaking of Batman, so this is Word Association football going on here, but... The Batmobile turned up in a very unusual spot this past week. Right. So, uh, you want to go ahead and tell them where it was? Uh, it was apparently on the bottom of the new Millennium Falcon. Yeah, that was funny. That was very funny, especially when they had the... And it, 
hopefully not we're not ruining it for anybody because by the time this gets posted, it's going to have been out for for weeks and weeks. But I really love seeing the Millennium Falcon, and then they've got the John Williams music playing and stuff like that. And then as they're like lovingly going over in very close shots, so you can't see the whole the whole Falcon, but as they pan across it, and then as they come underneath it to show the Batmobile, the new Batmobile, or the one uh, from the it was Christopher the old Nolan one. one. Right. It's not the old one. Well, it was the Christopher it, Nolan one. It's the Christopher Nolan one. Definitely not the uh, Adam West one. So they come under to show it, and then, then the, the music turns into Batman, the Batman, like, big crescendo thing. I thought that was pretty good. Right. Yeah, and that was JJ's uh, comeback to Zack Snyder posted a picture of the new Batmobile, the uh, Affleck Batmobile. Right. Uh, next to a police car and some Gotham PD are arresting uh, some stormtroopers. Yeah. <laughs> That's a funny mashup. Right. That's great. So, yeah, it's good. That, I mean, that, because are they going to b- both come out at the same time? The same um, summer? Or yeah, whatever? it should be, right? So that. Because yeah. next year, 2015, is. Um, actually, no, I think Star Wars will come out Christmas of 2015, right? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. But they did make a big deal about how it wasn't coming out in May or right. you know, for the summer like all the other ones did. Yeah, so, I yeah. Think, okay. I think 2015 should be Star Wars and 2016 should be Justice, uh, Dawn of Justice or whatever it's called. Right. Okay. I just wondered if there was more of a reason, that, like friendly competition or something, but it isn't. They just like each other's uh, properties. I, th- I think they're both, you know, like us. Geeks. Fans of all franchises, and right. uh, they actually get to control two of them. That's very cool. JJ gets to control two, which I don't understand, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so he's the... Okay, but he's only the director of one movie, right? Right. And then they've got other directors for the other planned... At least for the next... The other two planned ones that are on the horizon. The other three. They've They've... They've cast. They've already got two spinoff directors, and then they've got the director for episode um, eight. So uh, eight. There's, there's four movies in the pipeline. Right. Okay. And, okay. Four. I thought yeah. there were three. Okay. Fine. Now there's two spinoffs, and then episode seven and episode eight. Okay. Okay. Well. And JJ's not the, main the thing director is, of eight. So. Exactly. So, I think it's his production company. He's the director of only the one coming up here. Everything else is handled by other people, right? Sure. Right. Okay. Yep. So you get JJ back to Star Trek. Uh, I don't know. We'll see how it goes with somebody else. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, speaking of Star Trek, shall we uh, talk about some Voyager? Let's do it. We're doing Voyager uh, issue number 14. The title is Survival of the Fittest, part one. February 1998 is the published date. And here are the credits. Enchanting words by Laurie S. Sutton and Gwen Sutton. Charmed markings by Terry Pallet. Inviting inks, Al Belgram. Seductive shades, Matt Webb. Alluring letters, Chris Elopolis and virtual calligraphy. Siren of the Spaceways, Chip Carter. Animal magnetism, Tim Toohey. Just plain desirable, Bob Harass. The cover features a smiling Captain Janeway with love in her eyes and a beaming smile on her face. A gentle male hand is on her cheek. 
there seems to be a glimmering effect on parts of the man we can see. On the lower right corner is an inset picture of Seven of Nine's head stating plus Seven of Nine. So we get to see Seven of Nine. Yay. The issue opens with Captain Janeway's log, which moves the narrative along quite a bit since the last issue. Her log entry covers the changes in Kess that started with some kind of event on Stardate 5796.5 that triggered her eventual departure from Voyager. Her premonitions about Species 8472 came true. This dangerous species dared to be at war with the Borg, and Voyager was caught in the crossfire. Kess's telepathic abilities allowed them to communicate with Species 8472, which saved the ship and crew, but triggered catastrophic changes in her. Kess is gone now, but Seven of Nine has joined the crew, which helps balance the loss. In sickbay, the Doctor and Janeway is helping Seven of Nine to deal with her first cold. She's still learning how to not be Borg, so some aggression was mixed with a large amount of confusion. Later, Janeway enters the bridge to deal with a ship emitting a distress signal. Tuvok reports they have not identified themselves or the nature of the emergency. The ship comes into sensor visual range. Someone comments the ship is beautiful, but has no external damage that they can see. Balana reports sensors detect a plasma leak that is quite repairable. Not an emergency situation, in her opinion. They are suspicious. Then Harry puts the incoming message on the view screen and is delighted with what he sees. An amazingly beautiful woman, clothed in nothing but small bands of sparkling energy. She says she is Katira, of the Asoria, and their spaceship requires repair right now. Janeway is unhappy with Katira's forceful and even rude request. She asks for a description of the emergency. The men on the bridge are captivated by Katira's beauty. Katira's demeanor changes when she realizes the captain is a female. She says she must defer to her brother and asks Janeway to stand by. An amazingly handsome blonde man wearing only thin strips of glowing energy introduces himself as Katiris and apologizes for the impertinence of his sister. He requests Janeway's aid in repairing the ship. It is now Janeway's turn to be seduced by the strange alien. She says... She is only too happy to help them. She sends Balana over to help and extends an invitation to Katiris and Katira to visit Voyager. Katiris, with a big smile, says Katira must decline, but he is more than happy to come aboard and meet Catherine in the flesh. The men on the bridge are far less impressed with Katiris, and Chakotay even warns Janeway to be careful of him. But Janeway is utterly smitten and tells Chakotay that he can be careful of them. She leaves the bridge to prepare to meet their visitors. Later in the mess hall, Janeway is out of uniform and in a fetching blue dress. She and the other women are all aflutter over Katiris. Everyone except Seven of Nine, who is not affected by him in the least. The doctor tells Chakotay that the attraction is more likely to be femeron-based than anything else. Biochemical reactions like that are quite common, though this does seem to be an extreme chemical reaction. Katira suggests a private tour and says he came aboard for Janeway and not the rest of the crew at the party. 
Chakotay does not like this one bit. Later on the bridge, Bellana reports to Chakotay that their ship's engine was purposely tampered with or their terrible engineers. Chakotay thinks the former. He wants to inform Janeway immediately, but is interrupted when Harry reports an energy burst near Cargo Bay 2. Paris finds Seven of Nine unconscious in the hallway. They beam her to sick bay, where the doctor determines she is in neural arrest. He says she was hit by an energy discharge. Tuvok interprets it as an attack and makes a shipwide announcement, alerting the crew to be on the lookout for an Orsorian saboteur. He ends by asking Captain Janeway to report to the bridge. When she does not respond to the hail, Chakotay uses the computer to locate her in her quarters with another. Tuvok and Chakotay enter the quarters with a security team and find her and Katira sitting on the captain's bed, kissing. Katiris acts incensed and asks why Chakotay is interrupting their private conversation. Janeway says nothing and slumps back onto the bed when Katira stands up. Chakotay and Tufak suggest Katiris should return to his own ship. The captain has important business to attend to. Katiris does so. Chakotay tries to talk to the captain. The only thing she can say in a weak voice is, Femorones, Chakotay. It's Femorones. Meanwhile, Katiris is back on his ship and comes up behind Bellana, who has just completed repairs. She is surprised and gives no resistance when he kisses her. Conversation is over now, and Katiris' kiss appears to have given him complete control over Bellana. He orders her to return to the ship. As Bellana beams out, he looks at her tricorder, laughing at how easy all this is. When back on the ship, Bellana has a killer headache. She goes to sickbay for relief and sees Doctor tending to Seven of Nine. He scans Bellana and determines she has a familiar energy residue in her cerebral cortex. The doctor hails Captain Janeway, asking her to come to sickbay as soon as possible. She says she will. When Janeway arrives, the doctor tells her the energy pattern in Bellana's brain is the same as the one he saw in Seven of Nine's brain scans. So whoever attacked Seven of Nine did the same thing to Bellana on the Orsian ship. Bellana says she was not attacked with a smile on her face. Janeway says they need to warn Katiris of the danger on a ship, and with a smile on her face, says she will deliver the message personally. Bellana objects, saying Katiris is mine. They have a brief war of wills, ending with the captain ordering Tuvok to confine Taurus to her quarters. In the transporter room, Chakotay tries to prevent Janeway from beaming over. She says Kateris fills an empty place in her soul that Mark left when she was separated from him. She can and will beam over to be with Kateris. She beams over, and the heavy suck-face session commences almost immediately. Tufak and Chakotay discuss what to do. Tom and Harry chime in also. They can't beam her back, since the ship's sensors cannot cut through the interference being generated in the ship. Tuvok says there is only one logical course of action. Without hearing what it is, Chakotay says, then we'll take it. A short time later, the scene shifts to the Orsian ship. Tuvok has beamed over and is wearing a black Starfleet ninja uniform with a phaser in hand. Tuvok first attempts to turn off the jamming device that is blocking Ensign Kim's attempts to scan the ship to find the captain.
before he can deactivate what he thinks is the device's power source, a female voice comes from behind Tuvok. He knows who it is and attempts not to face her. It is Katira, Katira's supposed sister. She is beautiful and practically naked, save for white sparkly energy ribbons around her naughty bits. Tuvok tries to resist. Katira pulls his face to her and kisses him. Tuvok collapses to the floor. Katira stands over his body and laughs, saying, So easy. <laughs> Next issue, we will find out who will survive. Da-da-da. So I got a couple questions of logic. <laughs> sure, sh- shoot. Why would they let him leave? Obviously, the captain was not acting herself. She was drunk, dazed, whatever you want to say. You know, they didn't know that he didn't do something to her, and they're like, I think you better leave. We have an intruder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have a, a saboteur. Right. And who's the only guy who's not a part of the crew? Yeah. Right. And if it's not you, then maybe it was somebody from your ship who we assume there's probably maybe more than just you on the ship, you and yeah. your sister. So. Yeah. And then at the end, she, Janeway's going to warn him. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think that would be a part where the doctor should have said, you know, I don't think you're making rational dis- exactly. decisions. I call, can pull rank on you in this regard. Exactly. Pull a McCoy. Yeah, but instead they're like, oh, no, go ahead. Well. Let them, let them know what's going on. Well, yeah, but they did try to stop her from beaming over. But... Yeah. Oh, stop. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> That's how much they stu- that's how much that, they tried. That, so that's exactly what Chakotay sounded like, really. Exactly. Well no wonder she didn't listen to him. He was a wimp. <laughs> oh, that was so frustrating. And you know, I, I at this point I don't know what you know motives the these two people have, uh, but why did they let Torres go back? I mean, they seem oh. like they want people to come to them. Well, why did she, why did Taurus go across alone? Also, I yeah, mean, right. She Instead should have had engineering team, right? Yeah, yeah. No. So why'd she go alone? Why did the alien let her go back? Yeah. If he just was trying to get you know Janeway and Tuvok now to come back over, right? Man, that's just confusing. And where's the rest of their crew? Well, uh, right. Well, what I thought is it was really the same entity. So well, I didn't. I didn't think there was. There, I didn't think there was two of them. I thought there was just one, and it would flip genders as it needed to. Oh, that's weird. That's what I was thinking. Well, at the very beginning, when we first see them, it's the chick, and then she says, "Oh, you know," rather than saying, "Hey, Fritz, come over here a minute. We need <laughs> you to do the mojo." Uh, no, she she goes, she leaves, and then he comes back. So that's what I was thinking. All right. Let me go here off screen. And let me just change a few things, and I'm back as a guy. Yeah. Uh, I think maybe you read too many comic books. That sounds, you know, very Clark Kent Superman-ish. <laughs> well, come on. It's Star Trek, and, you know, the thing could be an energy being that's just projecting an image. I mean, it wouldn't be the first time. Right. Anyway. Yeah. And, and they do have that glowing stuff around their naughty bits, as you mentioned. Exactly, yes, yeah, well, we'll see. Maybe we'll learn more next issue. I think we'll learn a lot. But I definitely ended this with multiple questions. 
including how are they going to get out of this? And I was thinking, okay, so, well, I'm going to ruin it. Because <laughs> I did guess it. I mean, I guessed what was going on. Because whenever I get to the end of an issue like this that sets things up, I, I, I usually take the time to try to figure out, well, how are they going to get out of this? How are the writers going to get them out? Right. And then it's obvious that maybe I should be looking for the people that aren't affected by their pheromones. And right. uh, that led me to the obvious conclusions, which I won't go into now. Right. So, uh, yeah. And, and you're right. I mean, th- th- this... I'm going to be honest. This, these, two, this two stories is so bad. <laughs> well, I didn't think it was great, but I don't know if I... I, I was so disappointed in, in this yeah. being the last two issues of the series, yeah. which for the most part has been pretty good. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they've stumbled a time or two, but but I thought overall the, the 15 issues or the 13 issues up till now have been pretty good. But this one is just, like you said, this one is all set up, and then next issue, there's no surprises, because it was all so obvious from this issue. that uh, And there's some stuff that happens in the next issue, which kind of ruins the whole whole thing. Yeah. But uh, anyways, um, so I, I got a question. If it is sure. pheromones, pheromones you breathe in, right? Or <laughs> I got the same skin or something like that. I got the right? same question, right? Exactly. Why are they all moony eyed when they're just seeing them on the TV? Exactly, it's a view screen. You know, did, did are the pheromones drifting across open space and then coming through the screen? I don't think so. And what if Janeway? was more inclined towards the ladies, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> then this well, whole, like, let me get my brother the... thing wouldn't quite work out. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I agree. That would have been funny, though, if if she's like, uh, let me go get my brother. And then he comes back and she's like, uh, can I talk to that sister again? <laughs> well, she probably would have been more enamored with the original demand of repairs. Right. Which she wasn't, so... Yep, good question. I got another question for you. And have I maybe I've asked this before, maybe maybe not, but I'm confused that the security team that go into Janeway's quarters with Tuvok and Chakotay, they're using first contact phaser rifles. Are they? They are. And it's like where did you get that? I mean, because I don't think they ever use those on the T V show. And I know for a fact the phaser rifle design was quite unique that they used uh, on Voyager, at least in the in the early episodes. Very unique and rather kind of bulky. But you know, it was it's a it was it was a bad but bad ASS kind of design, but kind of big and bulky. And I like the the first contact phaser rifles much better. But it's like, how did they get a different phaser rifle design? Right. Don't know. It's just what the prop prop people had when they were filming this. Not oh, filming. Wait, filming. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 okay. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I, I didn't even notice. I you pay much more attention to that than I do. Yeah. Well that that I cover that beat and you cover other bits of things. Well, how about the uh, Starfleet ninja uniform? Yeah. I like the Tuvox uniform. Looks pretty cool. Yeah, that's actually from the show. They 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 Oh, did they? Time too. Yeah. Oh. I which okay. I always thought was funny. The red one not so much, the blue one not so much, but this yellow one, 
man, how, how can you be covert when you have this big yellow line running across your, your chest and arm? I, I, yeah. It does look good, though. Yeah, no, it looks cool. The black and the gold really go together nicely. No, it looks cool. But you're, you are completely right. If what you're really trying to do is uh, not be seen, that is kind of it weird. Right, yeah, the blue one and the, the red one, you know, those colors were dark enough that they, you know, you could see the, somebody hi- hiding in the dark really would be hard to see. But when you got the glowing yellow, it's, it's pretty much, yeah. hello, it, I'm here. Yeah, it, yeah. And red, red probably wouldn't be a good idea either. Which, the, the next-gen uniforms, I've always loved the next-gen uniforms, but it's like red. It's like, can you make yourself a better target? <laughs> That's just your Taz, Taz red shirt uh, mentality going on. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and of course in the movies they switch to the very cool tunic things, Kirk and Company. But yeah. um, I'm just I'm just saying, and I think we might have said this before. Uh, next n- late next gen uh, gray uniforms. I think they were they were the best. Yes, I agree. M- most logical, most and they look really good. So, right, anyway. agreed, hundred yeah. percent. First contact uniforms, right? Well, oh, so the TV show they never used those. It was just in the movies. Okay, yeah, it was. Uh, well, Deep Space Nine started using them after right. First Contact came out. Right. Cool. Yep. Okay. Well, those are the best, and they they make most sense from a standpoint of not getting shot in uh, in firefights and things. Right. Yeah, in Generations, uh, they started using these these uniforms that Voyager used throughout their whole lifespan. Yeah. Which I never really liked. Oh, you don't like the Voyager uniforms? Uh, Not as much as... um, I guess I liked them. They're all right, but but they weren't ever my favorite. Right. They're better than the pajamas from Season 1 and 2 of Next Generation. Yeah, well... Yes. (laughs) They're jumpers. Yay. All okay. Right. So uh, back to this issue. Yes. Anything else? Um, yeah, at this point I was also wondering, what the heck do they want, the, these aliens? Um, they got their ship repaired, but that appears as if it wasn't what they were really after anyway. So what do they want? Do they want the ship? Do they want the crew? All these questions. And I really didn't know what they wanted at this point, so that was a bit of a mystery to me. Right. Well, we don't know what they want, but because it seems so, so they want people to come over to the ship, but then they had somebody and they sent her back. Yeah. And when she when he sends her back, he's holding like a little brick thing, and he's laughing. Ah, too easy. <laughs> oh, I thought that was her tricorder. Yeah. Well, so then I'm thinking, oh, well, you just really wanted a tricorder. But, uh, spoiler, never comes back up. They don't well, care about the tricorder. No, and I thought he might have actually told her to do something, like sab- sabotage something. I thought she might have been going for a sabotage card mm. or something. But no, her orders are... or So he didn't realize she would go back to sickbay with a headache? And right. they would, could start putting two and two together? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that's the only explanation. The writers are like, well, we need her to get back so they can figure out maybe a possible uh, workaround. Right. right. Too easy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> Every time they do that, it seems like a you know cue the villain laugh. <laughs> and if your theory holds out, uh, it might be the same villain laugh. Well, yes. If it hold, if it yeah. So I thought the art was pretty good. Um, I think especially when you see Tuvok's face, you know, because it really takes up like the whole page. Which one? When he's getting kissed or when he's... What, when he's get it, getting his face jerked around. Right. He's got an interesting look on his face. And I think it's quite... Ac- I, I think it looks pretty pretty good. Pretty like uh, uh, Tim Russ, I think his right. name is. Tim Russ, yep. Uh, and then when he gets the big kiss on the next page, which is pretty much like all like her and his head, very big close-up. I think it was pretty good. Right. Pretty good artwork. No, I enjoyed the artwork. Um, they don't show a lot of the ships, but... Uh... Yeah, let, go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm just saying. I, uh, go ahead. <laughs> I'm just, I just want to comment that I don't think their ship is very good looking. It's <laughs> a beautiful ship. It looks like, I don't know. It looks just like, like three fruits stuck together with tentacles hanging off of it. I don't think there's anything beautiful about it. Yeah, it looks like kind of like a, a little gourd. What's, <laughs> a little some, gourd. Yeah, it looks like a little deformed pumpkin. Yeah, yeah, no, it's weird. Yeah, with, with with these like at least two tentacles hanging off of it, flowing backward. I don't think there's anything pretty about it at all. I think that was the pheromones already hitting him. Ah! There it is. Like, <laughs> so even <laughs> so, even the ship has a uh, pheromone scented. Uh, exactly. Effects. Right, it was already hitting him. Amazing through space. Uh, it, it all makes sense now. Okay, perfect. That's the last thing I, thing I have to say. Well, come on. We've got to talk about the one thing we, we kept hammering on last week was, I hope this ties into oh. tele- telepathy war. Yeah. And then when she has a little vision at the end, well, I hope that had to do with telepathy war and not uh, those episodes of Voyager. Guess what? It had nothing to do with telepathy war. Well. All Voyager... That is CC eight four two nine. That is the trigger event that we did not realize had happened. Oh, is that what it was? Well, that that's the only thing. That is it. So, so I mean, she even gave the star date, which I, I don't remember the the telepathy war, uh, the one where the events happens, you know, where they start curing all the stricken telepaths. Right. But apparently, that date was the same date as when. You know when Kess started changing, so the absolutely only tie into it is supposedly the start of Kess's turn for the worse. And you're okay with that? No, I'm not okay with it. Oh, okay. I think it's, I think it's BS. But I mean, yeah, that's what it is, though. That's the only tie-in. Not much of one. Right. Yeah, and no, I thought it was pretty weak, and I was, I was a little disappointed that Kess is just gone now. Yeah. Well, but you at, knew it would have to happen, but right. I, I, so why did they jump so far in, in over this? Because they wanted to get seven of nine in, you well, know, yeah. before be, before things ended. <laughs> I mean, because they jumped a lot of time between issue thirteen and fourteen. It a couple. Of, it was a couple of months or something, right? Uh, I, I don't know exactly, but at least that much it seems like they went through. Kess's departure, the whole 8429 or whatever that species number is. I mean, all that stuff. Yeah, that was just uh, one episode, though. 
Well, it seems like they and then then they pick up seven of nine. So again, all happened in those first two episodes. It seems like a fair amount of time to be jumping. <laughs> That's a lot of events. Right. But. Agreed. It was it was a, a pretty action. It was it was a pretty dense two episodes. Scorpion Part One and Two. Yeah. But and and it held like the worst kept secret ever. Where in the opening credits, you know, you don't know who Seven of Nine is. Opening credits, you expect to see Kess's name. Oh, who's this Terry Ryan person? Where's Kess's name? I guess she's not going to make it much into this season. I hate when when they have to do or when they do that in the opening credits. You shouldn't know in the first five minutes that one of your main characters is not going to make it after the the opening episode of the series. Yeah. Well, is it cost? They didn't want to redo the the, the season titles because she's on the show. For those so, two episodes, yeah. Right. I mean, sh- anyway, whatever. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, the, it, it happens quite often, but uh, I thought um, Smallville did a did a good job with the opening credits, you know, because there was a season where Chloe died. Okay. You know, that's, that's how, that was the big cliffhanger. She was dead. And then the opening credits for that episode, the, the next season opening credits, she's not in it. She's dead. She's she's not coming back. And then, you know, a couple episodes in, she comes back, and then they start showing the real credits, which is she's in it from that point on. But those first, you know, episode or two at the beginning, she wasn't in it because she was still supposed to be dead. That's good. And I thought that was the right way to do it. Heck yeah. Now, mind you, only a fraction of the audience was probably actually looking at the credits <laughs> <laughs> instead of zoning out through the thing they've seen 15 jillion times. But, right. yes, that's good that they... That they they take their audience that seriously, right? And they think their audience is taking them seriously. So, that but is Voyager cool. did not do that to me, and I was very upset because I did not know I did not know Kess was leaving the show yeah. until that that opening credit, and I'm like, right. what? All right, anything else? Nothing. All right, well then I guess I will get to do the next one. I guess you will, and it is good. all right this is entitled survival of the fittest part two um it came out march of 1998 and is issue number 15 um i think everybody is the same but i'll go ahead and read it because they try to be really cute with the uh, names again so laurie s sutton and gwen l sutton are she writers terry pallet is the he penciler Al Mingram is the He Inker. Chris Alopoulos and Virtual Calligraphy is the He Letterers. Matt Webb, He Colorists. Chip Carter, He Man. Tim Tui, He Editor. And Bob Harris, He Chief. All right, so the cover shows Janeway's face, and she's looking very distressed. And her mouth is pulled back into a grimace. And then with his hands clasped over Janeway's head, we see Catrice, and he's smiling down, looking at her. And then we see a swirly kaleidoscope thing behind the two of them. And then the caption reads, The Orison Secret is Revealed. So the story starts off with a slight replay of the final couple of frames of the last issue. Tuvok in his stealth uniform trying to resist Katrina's kiss, but failing. And then after the kiss, he falls to the floor and is then scooped up by 
the random pillars that were throughout the room come to find out they're robot servant guards. They scoop him up and take him to a bed where she then joins him and tries to seduce him further. She likes that he's resisting, but tells him that it is pointless. In his weakened state, he's unable to stop her as she rips his clothes off and presses her naked body to his. He can only say, No, you can't. You... Close by, Janeway wakes up with the last desperate plea from Tuvok hitting her ears. She, too, is in a bed and in a very weakened state. She groggily tries to get up, but Catrus shows up and he tries to calm her down. He seems to loom over her and he brings his body in close to hers. And again, she hears Tuvok's plea of, no, you can't. But she seems to only have eyes for the glowing man above her. We flash back to Voyager. Ensign Kim is unable to scan the ship to find Tuvok and the captain. Suddenly, a kaleidoscope-shaped ship appears and is heading straight towards them. Kim states that the ship seems to be alive, and Chakotay recalls seeing the shape last issue on the bridge of Catrus's ship. Speaking of that alien ship, back on it, Catrus is again on the bridge, and the unconscious bodies of Tuvok and Janeway are under his feet. He is contacting the newly arrived ship, stating, We feel your hunger. Join us, and we will feed your hunger. The alien ship Voyager is yours. That, that was my dramatic reading for the day. With that invite, the alien craft starts to attack Voyager and starts to drain all the power from the vessel. Back on the bridge of Voyager, the crew can do nothing to stop the drain of power. They all notice that Catrice's ship seems to be untouched and is emitting some sort of frequency. Taurus calms in and tells the first officer that all the biogel packs on the ship are infected with the same energy that she and Seven were attacked with. Chakotay contacts the aliens and he speaks with the female, Katria. She is now wearing a glowing bodysuit around her normally naked form. Pinned to the suit is several logos from several different alien species, including two Federation comm badges. She tells Chakotay that he and the ship will feed the larger craft, called the Ancestor, and that Janeway and Tuvok will feed her. Chakotay orders a phaser fire at the alien craft. This does no damage, but it seems to feel its hunger for a moment, and it stops draining Voyager for a little bit. During this short breather, the doctor tells Chakotay that Seven has a natural immunity to the bioengineered pheromones. Chakotay orders the two of them to beam over to the alien craft and retrieve the captured crewmen. Back on the alien ship, we learn that, surprise, surprise, Catrice and Katria are indeed the same person, and they're able to morph between genders in order to seduce anybody who comes by. They are able to drain life forces within close contact, similar to how the larger vessel is draining Voyagers. Suddenly, Seven of Nine and the Doctor beam in. They do not fall sway to the charms of the two, and the Doctor is able to inject the cure into Katria's body. She starts to morph uncontrollably into a huge mass of flesh with multiple eyes and multiple mouths. The four Voyager crew members then beam back to the ship. Once there, the larger alien craft starts to get hungry again, 
Ensign Kim broadcasts the frequency that he noticed Katria's ship broadcasting earlier. As expected, the larger alien craft ignores Voyager, and it starts to attack Katria's ship. Katria, in no shape to broadcast her or his friendly frequency, is quickly destroyed. The larger vessel then starts to implode on itself due to ingesting one of its own kind. Later, in sickbay, Janeway and Tuvok are back to normal. The two of them speak with Chakotay and the Doctor about the concept of survival of the fittest. The end. Wow! I thought it was pretty cool how Katiras and Katira or whatever turn into a Picasso painting. Picasso painting? I was thinking yeah. something from The Thing. John Carpenter's mm-hmm. The Thing. That too. That too. <laughs> yeah, so that's... So that's the highlight of the two issues, as far as I'm concerned. The picture <laughs> of, like, all the eyes just and teeth and mouth and just hands and everything being a blob. Right. Just, just sitting on the floor. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty horrific, those, those like, a page and a half. Yeah. I, yeah. So that's the highlight of the story, huh? That's the highlight of the two issues, yes. <laughs> okay, so... So we got the Doctor and Seven of Nine coming to the rescue because they're the only two that aren't affected. I mean, if, if Commander Data was there, we could have used him, but no. So right. there you go. And what did Seven of Nine actually do except for help pick somebody up off the floor? Well, she she took the attention of the guy right? Uh, while the Doctor uh, got the girl. Now, But it's the same person, so... So she was just to, to confuse him and then let the doctor get close enough to inject her? I guess I had to have her do something. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And then why couldn't they just zap her with whatever took her out the last issue? I mean, just because she's immune to their charm, don't they still have a way of telepathically zapping her? Yep. Yeah, but... Uh, but what, what did they say? Uh, you know, when he tries to zap her, and it, and it actually, the drawing looks like it's like some kind of an energy thing. Your biochemical attack will not affect me. I have adapted. Okay, so that's why. Right. Okay, well, that's great. So Borgs adapt, but you're not a Borg anymore, so how did you adapt? I don't know. Whatever. Oh, no, that's a crutch they fall on way too much in Voyager. Really? She still has all the strengths of the Borg, but none of the weaknesses. Okay. I did not realize that. Yeah. No. It, it, so she it, was always super strong and that kind of thing. Yep. She was always super strong. She was always able to, you know, she was basically like Data where she could calculate anything in her head because she has, you know, all this, you know, Borg intelligence and stuff like that and yeah. memories of, you know, that she, Oh, uh, we we encountered species seven seven four two nine when we blah 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 right. blah. And I'm like, right. how do you know that? You're not connected to the to the Borg hive mind. Or the whatever. hive mind. You should just have your memories. Yeah. Huh? So, like I said, I agree. It, it, well, it was a crutch handy. that I thought they 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 fell on way too much. Yeah. Well, what can you say? Not the best two issues on record, but. And and, and so and again, so so sorry that that was the final issue. Exactly. Of the monthly. Right. Yeah. And as far as final stories of a series, how do you think this two-parter pits up against the final episode of the original series TV show, where it was Kirk switching bodies ah! with a woman? 
I did not think of that connection at all. They're they're kind of on par with being, you know, out with a whimper kind of stories. Oh, completely that. <laughs> oh, completely that. But I, as far as I'm concerned, I've said this before, uh, the majority of season three was not good. Yeah, you're not a big fan of season three. No, not at all. No. Anyways, uh, in this story I did like, uh, or maybe I didn't like, but it was different. Um, the doctor being able to have part of his body uh, tangible and another part of his body being uh, just uh, an image because she's able right. to like push her hand straight through his body without, yep. without him dropping the hypo or anything else like that. And it's a good thing she didn't notice his portable transmitter. Sure, and just uh, it holographic, off. exactly, just knock it off, because that would have been his, uh, his. Wasn't that an Achilles heel that somebody used at some point? Yeah, no, uh, yeah, no, that's his. Yeah, it's it's like pulling the power pack out of the Lost in Space robot. Right, right. There you go. Right, which also doesn't make sense because if the emitter is emitting the light from that device, then how could you ever knock it off? You could maybe knock it and then. But wherever it falls to, he would still be projected right up next to it. Well, the holodeck characters, as well as transporter technology, have always been fraught with problems. <laughs> Things that just don't make sense. Like the whole idea, I mean, holographs are intangible light. So the idea that they period, have the technology to not only project things that look realistically 3D, but actually be tangible... I don't think they ever explain that properly. No. So that's well, just one of they, those things. They, it's photons and blah, blah, blah. Well, photons, f- correct me if I'm wrong, photons are what make up light. So right. it's light. <laughs> okay, you can call it a different word, but it's still light and it's intangible. I mean, it I ain't, ain't going to pick up a hypo. Sorry. But, but whatever. Whatever. That's just because our puny 21st century minds can't grasp 23... The incredible technology. Technology, right. Exactly, exactly. right. Yeah. Exactly. Hey, you're right about that. It's magic, just like, you know, cavemen didn't understand fire. <laughs> there you go. We're the cavemen, by the way. Yes. Speaking of cavemen and, and that kind of thing, I think the crew was pretty cutthroat against these Orsians. Not <laughs> to say they didn't deserve it, but... I mean, I, and I'm sure the doctor didn't necessarily know exactly how this would affect them. <laughs> Turn them into a blob of flesh. But they basically do that, and then they let them just all die. Right. You know? So when we had that multi-parter, we had Leviathan. That was the V'ger kind of cousin that was, you know, picking up all these people and stuff and, and keeping them in the, uh, their own personal uh, zoo. Right. She really went out of her way to uh, save the Leviathan and the people that were on board. But in here, it's like, heh, screw you guys. Well, she wasn't, we're going to let you die. I don't and... think she tried to save Leviathan. She just didn't want all the people that Leviathan had captured to die. Yeah. Well, I think it was both. But definitely, granted, in that issue, there were a lot of innocent people on there, which right. was a bigger motivation. But basically, just... They let's just let this thing die. Ah, screw you guys. Which yeah. I don't blame them because they were going to take over the ship. They were going to destroy the ship, suck the life force or whatever out of Tuvok and and the captain. So whatever. But I just thought they were 
kind of um, kind of coldly killing the bad guy. Yep, I agree. I thought I thought it was a little darker than normal at the end. Right. And I thought that the timing, you know, I know it's a story and it has to be exciting and stuff, but they make a big deal that, you know, Voyager is going to feed the Ancestor for 50 years and Tuvok and Janeway are going to feed them yeah. for 50 years. Yeah. And I'm thinking, man, what are the chances that Voyager would just show up at this area of space this time and not, you know, a year later where it's already full and won't eat again for 49 more years? Right. What Bad are the timing. Chances? What are the chances? Bad timing. Well, let me tell you something I do like. Sure. I, I like how on the first cover, uh, in issue 14, they had Janeway was there with love in her eyes. And it was really a good, I think it was a very good job of drawing. Because she, she really, the artist got across the idea that she was absolutely smitten. So that was good artistry and it showed love in her eyes. Then this cover, issue 15, she had, they did a good job of showing absolute horror. So that was kind of good. I like that. Agreed. No, they go well together. Yeah. So who do you think that, on, especially on the cover, who the catress is, who do you think he looks like? Oh, <laughs> uh, the super attractive guy. Um, yeah. I was thinking, was it Fabio? The Yeah, the, the actor, or no, the model. Yeah, I don't, I don't think he was an actor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that big guy with the long hair that was like a flavor of the day for a while there. Right. I agree with you when he's in the in the story and, you know, with his hair and his yeah. physique. That's who right. he looked like. But there okay. on that cover, I thought he looked just like Val Kilmer. Oh, like good from, point. Like uh, from Willow. Right, Willow where he had the long hair and everything. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. He does kind of look like Val Kilmer. Yeah, there you go. I agree with you. Although I didn't see that. I didn't make that connection. Very good. All right, so can we talk about a really horrible part of this story that... Uh, sure. <laughs> Go ahead. The the rape scenes they're 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 kind of just glossed over, but they're pretty intense. Yeah. Well, Tuvok's getting his shirt ripped off. Yeah, and then she's like all on top of him, and he's like, "No, stop! No, you can't do <laughs> <It's> this." Like, <laughs> this is really dark for a Voyager comic, and you know they don't ever mention it. It's like, oh, we're all good, right? And then you know J- Janeway's getting the same thing. But she's like, you know, drugged or whatever, you know, roofied or whatever. I don't know. I was just like, this this whole story made me really uncomfortable. Right. Yeah. Well. Uh, agreed. But I was able to, to deal with it. You know. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, Vo- Star Trek's always been good at taking something that's, you know, a contemporary problem and spinning it into a sci-fi way to kind of give us a. You know, uh, you know, you shouldn't be racist because you know, right, right. These people are the same as these people; they're just right. flipped. Right. You know, th- I always thought, you know, and there's a good Enterprise episode where you know, uh, uh, T'Pol gets mind melded, and it's very analogous to being raped and kind exactly. of thing like that. Right, right. But they talk about the ramifications of it, and they talk, you know, they, they, there's more to it than just the event itself. But here, it's like they're being raped, two different types of rape, and then it's just like. We're not going to even mention it. It's yeah. just over. Well, no, you know, and I thought I thought that was a miss. If you're going to go there, you know, go there. Don't just gloss it over the next page. 
Well, of all the Star Trek series, this one, I think, had the most extreme things happening to members of the crew. And then it's like a, a, a reset button is pressed. Janeway and uh, Chicote turned into uh, iguanas, l- l- salamanders, whatever the heck they were. And then they just pop back to normal next, you know, they're back to normal. Thanks, right. Doc. Eh, we appreciate that. You know, if you went through all that, wouldn't there be something, some lingering effects? There's another episode where it all comes down to Janeway. The entire rest of the crew is unconscious, and there's like these bugs mm-hmm. actually nesting in their bodies. Right through lesions and their openings and their skin and everything. And it's like, oh! And then, you know, next week, everybody's back to normal. Okay, fine. Hey, eh, we're a Starfleet crew. So right. I think there were a lot of extreme things that happened to this crew. And uh, and it just, everything's okay in the next uh, issue or the next right. uh, episode. episode. Agreed. Yeah. And, you know, those two points are very good. One of the most dramatic ones I thought was, you know, this is right after first contact. You know, we've seen what the new Borg looked like, and and you know, we saw those assimilation scenes in first contact, and they're pretty horrific. Yeah. Um. So there's a, there's a an episode where the, before the credits, you know, that little segment before the credits, all it is is showing you know Paris and Torres and them being marched down a Borg cube and being assimilated very in in, in the same fashion. You know, they're arms looks like their arms are getting ripped off and replaced with by you know the cybernetic ones and you're like oh my god what just happened you know and then it's the opening credits and then come to find out you know when we come back from commercial break that they purposely got captured by the borg and they had this little chip in their head so that they can't become fully borg but they can be assimilated i'm just like they just lost their arms and eyeballs and all this other crazy stuff. We know what the Borg do to people. And then right. by the end of that episode, they're back to normal because we had this little chip in our brain. We couldn't be com- fully assimilated through our brains. And I'm like, right. but what about your eyeballs and your arms? And oh, that, was, <laughs> that made me so mad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's another good example. That's a very good example. So, yeah. So you're chalking this up to the, to that kind of the next page reboots it and – we don't exactly. need to worry about the horrific thing that happened earlier. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. I like in the letter section in the back, they answered a question somebody had about the possible Star Trek Star Wars crossover. And I thought that was kind of interesting, the idea of that. I definitely think the idea of a crossover like that is just too far-fetched. Right. It could happen in a comic book, though. Anything can happen in a comic book. But that's pretty far-fetched. I mean, right. Star Trek universe and obviously Star Wars universe has nothing to do with each other. Right. But well, do, Doctor Who didn't. Doctor either, but, yeah, I was going to say Doctor yeah. Who, X-Men, yeah. Legion of Superheroes. I mean, all of those have crossed over with Star Trek and they have nothing to do with each other. Right. But well, I get you. I mean, it, it, you know, when you're a little kid or even now, I still think about it. Like, it would be really cool if Star Trek, Star Wars crossover. But yeah. In reality, would it be all that good? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Probably not, because it would be too hard to swallow, but whatever. Um, And as part of that, I like the little joke the the guy had in there saying something about, of course we all know the Enterprise-E could take on uh, an Imperial destroyer and win. So I thought that was kind of funny. I think that's pretty funny. (laughs) Not true. true. (laughs) I think... 
I think it was a joke, but that's right. like one of those things, you know, you, you're always doing. Like, oh, what would happen if the Hulk came up against blah, or blah, blah, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, of course. You know, that's, that's the favorite game me and my kids have. Oh, we'll, really? We'll be driving somewhere, and then even my daughter's like, so who would win between a fight between, you know, Santa Claus and Easter Bunny or something? <laughs> yeah. she, she, she comes up with some weird ones that are hard to answer. Right. But no, I, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, I, yeah. That's the last of my comments. Okay, my last comment is I just liked that the very last page talks about uh, survival of the fittest. And then you turn the page, and then there's a big advertisement for Transformers Beast Wars, and the big caption at the top, Survival of the Fittest. Ah, I just thought that was funny. I was like, man, that's funny. You just turn the page. And you, and you get more of it. Right. wonder if they did that on purpose. I don't know. I think it was just coincidence. Right. This advertisement was also in the last issue, which was entitled Survival of the Fittest Part 1. Yeah. Well, they might have said, hey, you know, we got a great issue to put the ad in. Let's do this one. Let's do these two. (laughs) Or maybe the people at Marvel were like, what are we going to call this? Hey, we got these ads. Hasbro's paying for (laughs) these ads about Survival of the Fittest. That sounds good. Let's do it. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't much about Survival of the Fittest, quite frankly, the issue. No, yeah, I thought that was really yeah, it was like, kind of weird. It was. It, it was like it was like at the end justifying the title, <laughs> right. because really nothing else about the the two you know the the two part of the story was about survival of the fittest. Yeah. Well, they, they, there was that little bit about the microorganism giving seven of nine the sniffles, and she says that it's a weak little organism. Yet, and then they're like, "Well, it, being the strongest doesn't necessarily mean you're the." I don't remember what they said, but they were trying to spin it that, you know, strength doesn't mean that you're always going to be the one that wins kind of thing. Uh, I don't right. know. Anyways. Strength does not necessarily guarantee you're going to survive. Or you're going to be the fittest. Right. right. Yeah, that's what it was. Right. All right. Shall we move on to Splashdown? Yes, which I, I liked. I, well, the setup was good. We'll see how it plays out. Right. I haven't read the rest of the issues. Yeah, me neither. So they definitely set up an extreme situation for the crew to get out of. Uh, you know, personally, I mean, I've got some theories about what's going to happen next, but exactly how they do it, I don't know. Right. Um, okay. So Splashdown, number one, is the title. Published date is April of 1998. Creative team is Loria Sutton. Penciler, Terry Pallet, Inker, Al Milgram. Colorist, Matt Webb. Letters, Chris Elopolis and Virtual Calligraphy. Editor, Tim Tui. Editor-in-Chief, Bob Harras. The cover features the main bridge crew in a watercolory kind of style. Voyager herself is shown at the bottom of the cover, plunging into water with smoke streaming out of her. Bold text tells us this is the first spectacular issue. The story opens with Janeway's log recapping the last several storylines in the monthly Voyager comic run. They were challenging times that drained the ship's power repeatedly. They have now entered a region of space that appears to be a wasteland that is low on available resources and unlikely to offer any help with their diminished power reserve problems. 
Luckily, their energy stores are good enough for Janeway and Chakotay to run a scuba diving program on the holodeck. Janeway is quite an experienced diver, and Chakotay is still learning. Janeway and Chakotay are called to the bridge to deal with some debris crossing their path. It's apparently the remains of a ship traveling fast when it was destroyed. Nearby are metal spheres with cylinders attached via a fin. They are powered and likely the attackers of the destroyed ship. They attempt to contact the spheres or their unseen masters. In response, the spheres move quickly on Voyager and fire upon her. Evasive maneuvers, Tom! The small spheres attack like angry bees quickly enough that Tom cannot shake them. Shields are down, 75%. The attack continues, and more drones join the attack, rallied by a strong signal that Chakotay reports originated 3.5 parsecs from their current location. Phasers are returning fire, but there's just too many of them. The drones start getting past shields and impacting the hull. Breaches start forming. Tuvok warns that if the drone attack is not stopped soon, the hull breaches may damage the ship beyond repair. The attack continues, causing heavy damage in engineering and elsewhere. The bridge crew finally gets the idea to stop the attack at its source. They analyze the source of the rallying signal heard earlier and determine it's coming from the fourth planet of a nearby system. They make for it, warp 7, but the high warp speed does not shake the drones. Amazing little things. The G-type planet's atmosphere is heavy with gases and suspended particles. The hull damage is too great, so they make a desperate descent into the planet's atmosphere. The drones are unable to match Voyager's steep angle of descent and start exploding. Finally, the last of the drones are no longer attacking. Paris drops shields so he can use the ship's aerodynamics to pull her out of their dive, but it's too late. Paris is able to pull the nose up, but the ship skips on the ocean like a flat rock expertly thrown. Voyager skips a second time, but this time it comes back off the water with too much force. The ship flips end over end and finally settles into the water. The ship begins to sink due to the many hull breaches that are taking on water. They are sinking like a rock. They reach 1.7 kilometers in depth, and their rate of descent is increasing. They lose main power and the lights. When they try to contact Bellana to get power back, she reports, finally, that engineering is flooded and the water is rising. To be continued. So how the heck are they going to get out of this? I don't know, but I hope Celine Dion sings a song about it. <laughs> I did not make the Titanic tie, but you did. It tied together. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and even the timing. I mean, the Titanic came out at the end of 1997. This came out midway through 1998. I mean, right. it was at the height of Titanic fever. Titanic mania. So you think that's where they got the inspiration? Uh, <clears throat> maybe. Maybe, perhaps. If not, it's a big coincidence. Yeah. Okay, so naturally, immediately, my problem solver mind kicks in and going... How are they going to get them out of this? So they got hull breaches. They got water coming on. Even engineering is flooded. That's crazy bad. They're at least 1.7 kilometers under the water, which is extremely, extreme amounts of pressure. Normal diver suits would not be able to, divers could not operate in that kind of pressure. Unless they use spacesuits? I don't know, maybe. 
the ship has to be damaged beyond repair, but we know they finally get home. Uh, well, they're not going to do anything without power, but Balana's practic the, the water's practically to the roof, at least the, the one scene we, they show. Balana, well, she won't die, but if she did die, it's like, good luck getting power on. Right. Um, and what the heck does that, does water do to a matter, antimatter chamber anyway, and especially if power was cut out? I mean, it's a containment field, right? That holds right. the antimatter, matter antimatter from exploding. What happens when the power goes out and that containment field can't be there anymore? I don't know. I think they are really in a bad situation. I don't know how they're going to get them out of it exactly. Right. Yeah. This one. This one is a head scratcher. Right. Now, somehow they'll use buoyancy, but how do you increase your buoyancy if you have multiple hull breaches? You've got a lot of water on already. You know, how do you increase your buoyancy? Replicate air. But there's no power. Now, if they had a way to force the water out and then sealing the breaches, fine. But you've got no power. So, I don't know. You go into the hollow deck. Yeah. <laughs> the hollow deck. You still have somehow have power and yeah. you can <clears throat> make it create a bunch of helium balloons inside the hollow deck which will somehow create a buoyancy for the ship itself and it'll be a miracle <laughs> well <laughs> no i don't know i haven't read them and, and and unlike that last issue i don't really have any theories as to where this is going to go no good ones at least right i think from the beginning when they were diving and what some of the things they said to each other the solution is going to all have to do with buoyancy, but right. how they're going to get it, how they actually do it, I, have, I really don't know. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was buoyancy was the big thing that Chakotay was having a hard time with in the holodeck. So they, you know, they've referenced it two or three times just in this issue. So right. a little, a little heavy handed, but, but that doesn't mean I know how they're going to do it. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Right. I think the artwork is, is pretty good. I particularly like it when Voyager is entering the atmosphere of the planet, and it's like a fireball streaking across the uh, the globe, and then the other little little attack spheres are are going. I think that artwork is pretty good. And thank God they didn't continue with the watercolor stuff they were doing on the cover. I like the cover. I know. <laughs> I purposely said that. Because of it. I know you like the watercolor stuff, which I'm fine with. It's just not my preference. Right. Yeah. No, I like the artwork. Um, I was a little confused a time or two. Um, I mean, since you brought up the streaking into the atmosphere, that, that one shot of Voyager kind of like blazing through and there's like a top of a volcano or something. I really did not know what, what I was looking at. I, I thought, well, maybe Voyager was already in the water at this point. But I guess it's just them streaking above the water. Is that what that's? That's what to be? I thought. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. All right, so, I see that. so Voyager looks like a like, and the other little probes. It looks like a fireball, a red and yellow fireball. And and I think it's, you know, it's streaking. Okay. You know. okay. Yeah, I was just confused. I, I thought, well, maybe it was some really like. Dense clouds that Voyager was in, but no, you're. I think you're. You're definitely right. This is just a streak above. It's going through the sky, but the camera's above. It right. It and the planet. All right, right, gotcha. That actually, that particular shot, I like quite a bit. 
Okay. It looks kind of simple. It's simplistic. The clouds and the sky and and even the volcano and the you know that looks a little simplistic, but I really love the fireball look. Um, pretty cool. Right. So I thought the hollow deck scuba equipment they were using looked pretty contemporary. I mean that. I mean they had tanks, compressed air tanks on their back, and the buoyancy vests they had looked pretty standard stuff. Um, I really didn't see much evidence of 23rd century technology or 24th century technology. Maybe it was a retro scuba diving program. Simulation. Maybe. I mean, it, it was it was a holodeck simulation, so sure. But I expected some kind of improvement in tech. But well, they could talk to each other. Can you can you really do that with scuba gear now? I don't see why you couldn't, as long as it covers your your face completely. I right. mean, you you can't have the mouthpiece in your mouth, obviously. So they do have kind of a, a big mask thing that's covering the lower part of their face and jaw. So I, I'm sure you can do that today, but mm. I, I've never had any kind of equipment like that the few times I've, do- I've dove. So did you know that it was Chakotay right from the start? No. I thought it was Vincent Kim at first. Huh? And, and I thought, well, that's weird that she's diving with Vincent Kim, but okay. Well... It could have been several people, but... So you thought it was Kim, yeah. Yeah, well, because they don't ever show his tattoos. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he's got the face mask on there and stuff. Right. It's pretty big. Yeah, and she never calls him by name, so I was I was a little confused up until they both walk onto the bridge, and I'm like, okay. Ah, ah. That's who it was. Yeah. And that whole holodeck scene, when they shut off the uh, program, terminate program, are they, like, in the air... And they're going to drop to the ground? Or yep. <laughs> how does it end? That's exactly it. Because, you know, most holodeck programs, you know, you're standing there, you know, on the floor. The right. floor may look different. It might look like a dirt floor. But in the end, it's a metal floor or whatever material it's made out of. But this, I mean, you're horizontal and kind of kicking your legs. It's like... Right. So is this some kind of anti-gravity thing that gives that effect? Exactly. I'm wondering. I'm exactly. just wondering. That's exactly it. So they got the, the gravity the, the they got the gravity plates turned off in the hollow deck for this one. Okay. <laughs> right. I mean, they they did there was an episode of Voyager where they did that with with Bellana doing the skydiving thing and then she stops halfway through and then when she in program she just stands up and walks out even though she was Completely vertical at one point. Or horizontal, excuse me. Okay. Hmm. I remember that episode. I just don't remember the details of what happened when the program ended. Hmm. Yeah, well, she stops, has a conversation, and then says, you know, in program, and she just kind of stands up and walks out. It's a pretty cool scene. It's it's the episode of Day of Honor. Okay. Ah, okay. Yeah. So she's she's restless, so she keeps testing her limits. Right. Cool. Well... There you go. All right. And then um, my last comment is in regards to the little spheres. They reminded me of the uh, mines from Galaxy Quest. Oh, right. Mm. Just that, you know, just that there was a lot of them and that they were following the ship and trying to smash into it. Right. Those are amazing little spheres. Now, these guys are, of course, equipped with some kind of phasers, whatever, directed energy weapons, something. But what I'm really impressed with is these little suckers can apparently travel at warp speed. Right. 
that's amazing. Now, it's, it's kind of hard to know exactly how big these things are exactly, but you can imagine it might be like, what, maybe the size of a car? Maybe? I was thinking like Volkswagen type bug type There you go, size. like a bug. And probably that's as big as it gets. And this thing's got warp drive that can match Voyager. Yep. So that's pretty impressive technology. The future. The future. So I'm sure we're going to find out who sent them ultimately. Or maybe they'll just say, hey, it just gets us into the situation so we never find out who was sending the signal. But I think we will. Oh, we will. Uh, oh, okay, so you know that. Okay. No, no, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. That we'll, I'm sure it'll come back up. Right. So it should be interesting to see what level of technology these, uh, these folks on the water planet are at. Right. Yep. Because obviously it's pretty advanced. Which will probably be the, the, how, the way they get out of it. Oh, thank you, fish people. It was just a misunderstanding and help us get out. Uh, yeah, it'll be like, yeah, it's going to be just like when Lois was shot by Stewie like eight times and falls off the, the cruise ship or whatever and is saved by the merman who heals, <laughs> who heals her wounds. Of course. And ends up being a fish head instead of a fish tail, you know, fish legs. Oh, is that right? Yeah. That's funny. And then the merman wants to, you know, you know. Yeah. Yes, I just read issue number 15 of Voyager. I know, I know what people think. <laughs> anyway, I won't go into the rest of it. <sighs> but Family Guy, great show. So interesting setup. Put him into an extremely bad situation, which, quite frankly, I think they're going to have to get out of it themselves, as opposed to, you know, the, the water-planted aliens saying, oh, we're sorry we shot you out of the sky. Let us help you. I don't <laughs> think that's going to happen. They're going to have to get out of it somehow. You think so? I, I think. I mean, I'll, you know, in a, lot, a lot of times in Star Trek stories, in the end, often, the crew has to get out of... They have to work their way out of the trouble themselves. That's usually the way things end up. And I think that's what's going to happen here. I just don't know how they're going to do it. Well, we'll find out. Sounds good. Okay, well, if we don't have any other comments, then we can uh, go ahead and close up shop. Um, We'll be back next week to finish off Splashdown with issues two through four. Good. Find out how they get out of the pickle they're in. Yeah, I'm actually curious. Really, really curious. Yes. Of course, they're going to take three more issues to do it, so... Right, so don't expect this to be a a quick uh, wrap-up. No, 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 no. Okay, well then, we'll be back next week. Till then, have a good time. Thanks for joining us, everybody. See you next time on The Review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at starttcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review.